Welcome to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. Welcome once again to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. My name is Peter Hind. I'm Project Manager at McGill University's Indian Ocean World Centre. And my name is Philip Gooding, a postdoctoral fellow at the Indian Ocean World Centre. So this is the second of three introductory podcasts. Last time we discussed the definition of the Indian Ocean World. Uh, this time we shift our focus to one of the key concepts that define how we study the IOW, which is human-environment interaction. We're joined once again by Professor Gwyn Campbell, Director of McGill University's Indian Ocean World Center. Welcome, Gwyn. Thanks. So you've defined your work as a study of human-environment interaction in the Indian Ocean world. What exactly do you mean by human-environment interaction? Well, human-environment interaction refers to the interaction between humans and the environment. Environment is an inescapable reality for all humans. We're all affected by the geography of where we live and move, whether it be urban or rural, in mountains, hills, valleys or on plains, on the coast or deep in a continental hinterland, by a river or lake or deep in a desert, or a landscape far from water sources. We're also deeply influenced by climate and climate change and shorter term environmental factors that are still not fully understood, such as El Nino and cyclones, and even less understood events such as earthquakes, volcanic eruptions and tsunamis. All of these factors influence our daily lives, and not just passively, for they have throughout history helped shape our material life, notably agriculture in which the vast majority of our forebears were engaged. At the same time, however, we humans have affected our environment. We've built villages, towns, cities, constructed roads, bridges, railways, ships and aeroplanes that help us overcome geographical constraints to travel. And we've expanded industry, finance and service sectors that have, particularly over the last century, lifted the majority of humans in developed and developing economies out of agriculture. And of course, we have through our activities, through cutting down forests, burning grasslands, damming rivers, converting swamps to fields and pasture, forming vast concentrations of cattle, exploiting mineral sources, creating huge car and aeroplane industries, converting wild coastlines into tourist havens. We have, through all this human activity, hugely impacted our physical environment. And through the CO2 and other forms of pollution our activity has engendered, increasingly threatened our rivers, lakes and oceans, and triggered what is possibly now irreversible climate change. So to sum up, what I mean by human-environment interaction is the complex relationship between humans and their environment over time. What are the benefits of this human-environment interaction approach to the study of history? What does it reveal that conventional approaches might miss, for example? Well, in conventional interpretations of history, humans are inevitably front and centre of the picture. The major themes of history are the rise and development of nation-states 
and of empires, wars, technological breakthroughs, and great men such as Napoleon, Gandhi and Nelson Mandela. The basis for such an interpretation is the, is the belief that history reflects the inevitable march of progress from the time humans lived in caves with primitive stone technology through to the present day. And throughout, progress is considered to reflect human ingenuity and superiority over the rest of the animal kingdom in conquering nature and exploiting nature to the betterment of human life. In other words, we're brought up to think, indoctrinated if you like, with the assumption that human beings are independent agents who have at will shaped their own destinies through time. However, this human-centric approach is arrogant and sadly misguided for a number of reasons. First, as I've already outlined, environmental factors have deeply influenced human material life since the beginning of time. Second, the catalyst of historical change, in other words, of history, is human-environment interaction rather than human action alone. And third, the dynamic of human-environment interaction, the relationship between human and environmental forces, has changed over time. And failure to account for this seriously undermines conventional interpretations of history. So you stress that human-environment interaction is not just a form of environmental determinism. So how do you go about acknowledging the centrality of the environment in shaping human affairs and human history without being deterministic? By emphasising not one to the exclusion of the other, but rather the centrality of both environmental and human factors in the making of history. It's the constantly varying relationship between human and environmental factors that is the catalyst of this historical change. So then, what paradigms do you seek to challenge by taking human-environment interaction as central to your understanding of Indian Ocean world history? Well, if we accept human-environment interaction rather than human activity alone as the catalyst of historical change, then it poses fundamental questions for conventional historiography. It inevitably questions conventional thematic, temporal, and spatial paradigms focused on humans alone. As already outlined, an approach based on human-environment interaction challenges the assumption that the major preoccupations of historical study should be the making of nation-states and empires, of wars and expansion, of technological advances, and the careers of great men. Rather, if human-environment interaction is the catalyst of historical change, it is the change in relationship over time between humans and their environment that should form the core focus of historical study. And if this is done, then conventional temporal paradigms, based on humans alone, must be challenged. We need to deeply question conventional time periods, such as antiquity, the Middle Ages, the early modern, 
particularly as such periodization is to boot unashamedly Eurocentric, based upon the supposed historical experiences of Europeans alone. Likewise, it challenges the spatial paradigms of conventional historiography. Nation states and their borders, empires and their frontiers, and colonial entities from imperial subdivisions of Africa to regional subsets such as the Middle East, South Asia, Southeast Asia, that derive essentially from European colonial views of the globe. All right, well, building on that answer, I'm curious about the, the history of the history, as it were. Um, was it a desire to challenge these his, like traditional historical paradigms that led you to emphasize the importance of human-environment interaction, or was it something else? Well, it was the slow realization, as my studies of economic history widened out from a focus on Madagascar and Africa, to an attempt to understand the forces driving long-distance exchange across the Indian Ocean world and how they changed over time. In this long, slow process, I gradually realised the inescapable truth that environmental forces have played and continue to play a far more significant role than historians have conventionally ascribed to them. So then, how is your conception of human-environment interaction tied to the Indian Ocean world specifically? Obviously, the two concepts are deeply entangled in your current work, but I'm curious exactly how this came to be. These two ideas appear to be distinct, the Indian Ocean world and human-environment interaction, but they appear also to inspire each other. Is this the case, or did they develop together, and also, can they stand alone? As I mentioned, it was my focus on patterns of exchange across the Indian Ocean world, not just of commodities, but of peoples, animals, plants, technologies and ideas, as well as of disease, that forced me to also take on board the hugely important role of environmental factors. How the monsoons, for example, were critical to rainfall upon which the majority of people living in the macro region depended for their livelihoods. On the El Ninos and cyclones that induced sometimes catastrophic drought or flooding and hence harvests, famine, disease and migration. Or on sulphur-rich volcanic explosions that precipitated several years of lower temperatures which in turn ruined harvests and triggered socio-economic and political crisis. A slow process with ineluctable conclusions. We alone are not the creators of history. History is rather our relationship over time with environmental factors. Human-environment interaction is the catalyst of historical change. Thank you very much, Gwen. Uh, once again, I'm Peter Hind, uh, Project Manager at McGill University's Indian Ocean World Centre. And I'm Philip Gooding, a postdoctoral fellow at the Indian Ocean World Centre. This was the second of three introductory podcasts on the Indian Ocean World. Uh, the third is the next one and will be on the major works in Indian Ocean World Studies.
The Indian Ocean World podcast would like to acknowledge the generous support of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. This podcast series is part of the SSHRC-funded partnership project Appraising Risk Past and Present, interrogating historical data to enhance understanding of environmental crises in the Indian Ocean world.